are listening to The Progressivist Podcast and I'm your host, Joe Lorenz. Join me each episode as we discuss how to use our collective voices to activate a progressive world founded upon climate, civil and racial justice. We're approaching the end of 2021 and obviously we've all had completely different experiences this year. You know, we've all been to different places, we've seen different people, lived in different cities, obviously had difference of opinions, yet I think we can all agree on one thing about this year. What the fuck was that? I'm here with our good friend, actor, comedian, progressivist team member and all-around legend, Walter Masterson. Walter is a progressive social media juggernaut with more than one million followers and possesses the ability to ruffle conservative feathers like no one else. He starred in loads of TV shows like Law & Order SVU, and his style of comedy can be viewed as kind of a mix between Borat meets The Daily Show. But you, Walter, are better explaining yourself than I am, so why don't you tell the fine folks listening to us right now who you are, what you do, your spiel. Sometimes I don't know what I do. I actually spent this last year figuring out wh- what is it? What am I? What what do I do? I do comedy. I'm a comedian. But the funny part is that I constantly have to tell people that I'm a comedian, which is probably the worst position to be in as a comedian. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you have to go around telling people you're not a journalist, you're not a this... That's actually a bad sign. So I I always think it's pretty funny where I'm like, I'm a comedian, I swear. <laughs> I started off, I wanted to do comedy by going to Trump rallies and interviewing people, Daily Show, Borat style. And it started to become very journalistic. And I'm not a journalist, for the record, not a journalist. <laughs> there are people that actually do real journalism can do real investigative stories. That's not me. I happen to be in the right place at the right time, multiple times, (laughs) right after, you know, during the election, leading up to the election, when Donald Trump in his debate said his infamous Proud Boys, stand by, stand down. And he he tried to backpedal and go, what, what? I didn't say it. I didn't mean that. If I meant it, I didn't say it. If I said it. And then I had an interview with Proud Boys, where they mm. interpreted that line exactly how you would imagine they interpret it, which is mm. we're waiting for his orders. And if the election doesn't go on our way, there's going to be a civil war. That was like the first time I was widely written about mm. uh, in the media. For the record, I had only gone there to this rally to get these interviews and sort of make comedy. As a comedic partner, Trump supporters are just the absolute best. <laughs> and I mean that with all my heart. One of the rules of improv is you're, you have to work at the top of your intelligence. And they are working at the top of their intelligence. <laughs> right. And, you know, I mean, you know, they teach you an improv class, like improv 101. It's okay. You know, you know, you have to know what a chair is. You know what a chair is. Okay. You can't just pretend you have to work at the top of your intelligence. You can't just say, oh, what's that thing? So, you know, it's like where Trump supporters, I guess that that is a chair and it's made by George Soros. And you're like, oh, my God, this is the timing is amazing (laughs) where they, you know, they act as if they're working at the top of their intelligence. They're Mm. so like forthright. 
It's amazing. Uh, I, you know, I love them for that reason. Leading up to the elections, I had interviewed people at Trump rallies. I went to all the Stop the Steal rallies post-election. And then I happened to be on the steps of Capitol Hill mm. on January 6th. I, I didn't mean for it to be that way, but it went that way. And then suddenly, you know, people were regarding my work as just more than comedy. I've worked to sort of claw that back a little bit. While I, I do consider myself an activist, I put a disclaimer that, you know, people should not be coming to me for purely informational purposes. Right. I think you have such a unique platform and point of view because you are an activist, but you're doing it through a satirical point of view, unlike any other social media content creator slash activist out there. And like you were saying with the improv thing, that you have to be at the top of your intelligence game when you're doing it, otherwise you get left behind and you're, you're not following the scene. You clearly do that, um, and it, it's very impressive to watch. So good for you. Thank you. Thank you're you. You're welcome. Yeah. Now, you're here with us. Thank you again. Um, so we can kind of look at a few highlights of the year that was, and like you just mentioned, you were in the right or the wrong place at the right or the wrong time a lot. So I just wanted to kind of cover a few of these things with you and get your thoughts on the year that was from both your personal point of view, but also with your sidekicks, the Trump supporters. So starting from the beginning with January, we're not going to go through every month this year because it's too much. But starting from the beginning with January, obviously January was a biggie. Um, Trump was still president and COVID-19 was, you know, causing untold tragedy and destruction with one death every five minutes in the U.S. And incidentally, this fatality rate is the same casualty rate of U.S. soldiers in World War II. Really? Yes. And this level of kind of deep catastrophe and heartbreaking reality is something I still don't think a, people, a lot of people have grasped. But let's go to COVID later. Let's start with January a little bit first. And, you know, mm-hmm. as you were saying, six days into January, boom, lo and behold, but wasn't there just an insurrection on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and you were there. So can you talk to us a little bit about it? I mean, I can only imagine you were terrified, but I can also imagine adrenaline kicks in. I'd love to hear all about it. There was this feeling that I am standing in the middle of something historic. It is both terrifying and historic. That is an invigorating feeling. What I was witnessing was terrifying. I interviewed a lot of people. I interviewed the famous Q shaman, the Mm. Viking. I had interviewed him from a previous Stop to Steal rally. It was an unremarkable interview because he was just staying on message with his QAnon talking points. And I didn't think much of it until he became the face of that insurrection. It was one of the things that messed me up because when you meet some of these people, they are one-on-one very decent. Mm. You meet them, you talk to them. He is one of those people that when you talk to him, he's very present with you. He's listening Mm -hmm. to you and his attention is solely focused on you. And there's a generosity with regards to that and an energy. And that really screwed me up because it showed me that you can have decent people become radicalized and do awful things. Mm. I mean, I am watching him in the media. You know, this is awful. They're storming the Capitol and knocking people over and ripping doors off of their hinges. That was frightening because it wasn't just mean spirited people doing a thing. It's easy to sort of categorize people as that, 
And that was very conflicting with me. I, I've spent tons of time with Trump supporters. I've spoken with many of them over the year. I'm, my purpose, obviously, is to do comedy. But, you know, you wind up spending just hours on hours with them. And, you know, you, you'll have a very decent conversation with another human being. Mm. And then they launch into Hillary Clinton is drinking the adrenochrome of young babies. Mm. You know, and into, they take a real turn into that. And it's disconcerting. So I was uh, pretending to be a conservative reporter mm -hmm. from a ultra arch conservative network that supports Trump more than any other network. Uh, mm. They have since sent me cease and desist letters. <laughs> so let's not talk about them. Okay. Uh, if they do want to bring it on, like we could dance. So that was one of the reasons, the only reasons that I attribute to surviving that. Mm. I got out of there alive because I was one of them. Mm. I looked like a you know, conservative reporter. So I, I went up to the steps. People were like, oh, it's the people from this network. Yes, clear the way, clear the way. And uh, I went up to the top of the steps and someone said, hey, you need to see this. And they showed me a, a picture of Ashley Babbitt's head having been blown off. Oh my and God. To which I said, oh, time to go, time right. to go. Now, when I went there, one of the most surprising things is that there was no backup. This is the United States Capitol. And my assumption was, oh, the cavalry is going to be here any second to just clear all of us out. The military, the this, the that. I mean, there's got to be a contingency plan for the United States Capitol being attacked. Just imagine the Pentagon. There's, the, there's just millions of brands of law enforcement just coming in, you know, saying out, good night. Uh, so I was expecting that. And that was not forthcoming. No one came to clear them out. And that is the biggest question I have to this day. Why did no one come to bail them out? I don't think the United States is lacking in branches of law enforcement to come and help clear out the United States Capitol. And that took hours, hours. I mean, you'd imagine minutes. Like my mm -hmm. initial assumption was, oh, in a few minutes, they'll be here. Mm. And I'm just going to get shot, of course. Mm. Nope, didn't happen. And they swarm. Now, they'll try and tell you, the MAGA crowd wants to say, this was nothing. They minimalize it. Like it was a few people, a few hundred. It was everyone. They mm. all knew what was happening inside. They were all relishing in what was happening inside. People came in, they went back out, and they reported back on what was happening inside to the people that were still standing outside. The people still standing outside knew exactly what was taking place inside and were celebrating it. It was a big celebration. I wound up having a ton of footage of people that wound up being on the FBI's most wanted list. People gave me their own footage of themselves going inside of the Capitol. So I have footage of the doors being ripped off. They surrounded it from every possible entrance, windows, doors, mm. everything. And they, you know, they make this statement, oh, the cops just let us in. No, the cops were severely outnumbered to the point where it was in their best interest to just stand aside and let people go in. Otherwise, they were just going to get killed. They'd be dead. What was really upsetting to me is they did not even clear these people out yet. And already there was a coordinated attempt to call this Antifa, mm. to minimize this. I literally watched people come out of the 
Capitol. They exited, walked down the steps, and started screaming to everyone that Antifa was doing this. It's one thing to say it a week or two after, a month after. Mm. And it's absurd enough to blame it on Antifa after the fact. During the fact, like in Mm. the fact, (laughs) Mm. they're saying this is Antifa and they start parading around the streets screaming, you know, fuck Antifa. Antifa did this. Mm. Like what? I mean, it's still happening and they're screaming Antifa. So I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. Mm. It is ridiculous, and it's like a little kid who literally has their hand in the cookie jar. It's probably my stupidest analogy ever, but saying it wasn't me. Oh, it was no, him. no, that's a that's the perfect analogy. Like it's a literal child with their hand in the cookie jar, telling you the dog did it. You got it right the first time. <laughs> Thank you. Um, horrible cookies, unfortunately. Look, um, Walter, I'm I'm so sorry for your trauma here because it's it's real, and what you went through was horrible, and so. Really appreciate you talking about it and being so honest. And and it is disconcerting. I really hear you. Like when talking about the Q Viking shaman dude. Yeah, I, I'm sure he's not like he's not an evil man. He's just this manipulated person that has been driven through bad faith in the digital age, where it's very easy for him to get this disinformation straight away and run with it and be manipulated because something is lacking in their world. Um, what do you think it is that's lacking for these people that they've latched onto such incredible bad faith? Or rather than it being them as victims, is it truly just Republican bad faith? I mean, there's obviously there's so much to unpack within what you just said. There's obviously there's the way algorithms work within social media, where it's just constantly feeding you mm. more of what you're you want. There's a radicalization going Mm. on with that, which has been proven across literally every platform of, you know, it's, it's supposed to feed you every social media outlet is supposed to feed you more of what you want. Mm. And it becomes incredibly toxic. I mean, I remember showing one of my friends, the explore page for my Instagram. Mm. And I was saying, this is a very, look at how toxic this is explore pages. They figured out exactly what I wanted mm-hmm. and they're feeding it to me, you know, in mass. And, but, you know, that aside, I think now every election we've had when there's been a loser and on the democratic side, I remember when John Kerry lost to W mm. and, you know, everything, there's always murmurs of election fraud and the election was stolen. Mm. You know, the true election steal was Bush Gore. And that was an actual steal. So, you know, there's there's always these murmurs of this election was stolen, but it's never being given you know, support. It's never being bolstered by the people at the top. One of the crazy things now, you and I don't have any love for Fox News, obviously. But right after the election, at these Stop the Steal rallies, these people were pissed at Fox News. A lot of people reported having walked away from Fox News after they called the election for Biden. And that gave a huge market share to Newsmax and OAN. Newsmax and OAN scooped up that market share quickly. And that's why you're hearing about Newsmax and OAN. I mean, it was bizarre. So I was initially going to go to these Stop the Steal rallies. There's a TikToker, a jolly good ginger, dear friend. He's a very dedicated activist to Black Lives Matter. And uh, he's amazing. He's a 
former uh, Iraq and Afghanistan veteran. He comes from the deep, deep South. So he knows the culture backwards. Most of his family are Trump supporters. I said, hey, let's go to the Stop the Steal rally and I'll bring a, a Fox News mic. I'll pretend we're from Fox News. It'll be funny. He's like, dude, do not bring a Fox News mic. Bring an OAN mic because they don't love Fox News. And he was like dead right. I realized to this day, if I had brought a Fox News mic, they probably would have beaten me up or screamed at me. It becomes like very capitalistic because you have like, you had Fox News lose market share because they just said, hey, Biden's elected. Mm. And then they realized they're losing massive viewership from saying this. So then they backed it up and they're like, no, 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 great. No, there was election fraud. No, 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 yeah. I was just at the uh, Trump O'Reilly history tour in Mm. uh, Florida. Trump said it himself. He said that when Mitch McConnell was in a uh, deeply contested race with uh, McGrath, Mm -hmm. she was running against McConnell to unseat him. She had a lot of money behind her and he needed Trump's help. Trump went out and stumped for McConnell. And he attributes that to him him winning and beating McGrath. And he's not, I don't think he's wrong. I, mm-hmm. I agree with Trump that in that situation, he desperately needed Trump to throw his support and weight behind him. A lot of these people at these Stop the Steal rallies said, we are going to primary all of these rhinos. So anyone that didn't support the election fraud nonsense Hmm. They're going to primary them. And they're serious. I mean, those people are in trouble. The MAGA crowd is going to go after those people. Politicians think in a certain way, obviously, and far too many of them are populists rather than leaders, which is the problem that we're in. But I, I can understand, you know, you work really hard and you you think you're doing the right thing for whatever wherever your values may lie. And so therefore not wanting to give away your career if something's going wrong. But at what point do these people actually realize, especially as many of them are God-fearing, quote, quote, people, that their integrity and their soul is on the line when they continue to sell their soul to Trump? But at one point, your integrity is what's going to be written in the books. I don't have a problem with conservatism and never have. I am not conservative, but I respect conservatism in good faith because it gets us to a point where we can meet in the middle. And, you know, I'd prefer we meet more on the left. <laughs> um, but you know, we have to kind of have a consensus in things. But when it's this consistent bad faith, we're not going to get anywhere. And these people aren't going I, I to- I miss that, actually. It's funny because I, you know, I'm, I'm aligned with you politically, but I do miss the days when you could have a proper dialogue right? with certain conservatives. I mean, I have, I'll, I'll relay something that happened over Thanksgiving. I mm-hmm. saw my extended family. Some of them are conservatives. And, you know, a bunch of them were, you know, they've been lifelong conservatives that just did not vote for Trump. They voted against him. And, you know, the conversations I have with them are informed. I don't Mm -hmm. agree with them. Sometimes I think you're misinformed of this, but it is not um, this parroting, this nonsense. It's an intellectual conversation. It's a dialogue. And I I miss that. Mm. I mean, this is these are conversations that I used to dread having. And now I'm nostalgic for that. Right. One of the oldest members of my extended family, this lifelong Republican, said, oh, you know, I heard that you were at January 6th and you have video of it. Can you send that to me? 
I'd like to send it to my conservative friends that claim that nothing, that nothing ever happened. Mm. And I, I felt so, I said, honey, oh my God, these people are a lost cause. They're not mm. going to change their mind because of new information. I was literally there and people are telling me that it never happened. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I felt really bad for the guy. I mean, he's just a conservative. He's not like part of this insane conspiracy bubble. I was like, oh, this is what conservatism used to be. Mm-hmm. You, you <laughs> do miss like, the good old days, don't you? Yeah, I used yeah. to, I mean, I, I like a debate based on good faith and like you were saying, on real information, thing, you know, actual information and the push and pull of a conversation with someone that you disagree with when it's done respectfully, you know, as you pour each other a glass of wine and break bread and do all the things and you have a debate and it's backed up with fact and not based on fictitious conspiracy theories that have been put in place to manipulate people who are lacking with something. It always made me upset that COVID had to be political. What's beneath all of it is they think that this is the Chinese strategy to install communism in the United States. That's just all what COVID is. And it was just a way to get Trump out of office and it goes from there. It's yeah, I mean it's it's ridiculous. And speaking of COVID, I wanted to chat to you about that too. Um look, as of December 15th this year, um the number of both confirmed and presumptive positive cases of COVID-19 in the US has reached approximately 50.2 million with almost um, 798,000 people unfortunately dying from the disease this year alone. This was more than double the fatality rate last year, which was reported to be at about 385,000. The good news with COVID, of course, is vaccines and vaccinations. And, you know, since vaccine distribution began in the US, more than 495 million doses have been administered, fully vaccinating more than 203 million people, including kids which often get left out of the narrative when it talks about people that have been vaccinated. Now, my my question to you is, when you're out on the streets doing your wonderful thing, have you seen any positive behavioural changes happening over the last year due to COVID? Or are we just still in a shitload of trouble there? Oh, well, one of the things with regards to the anti-vax movement is that the alt-left and your alt-right have joined forces Mm. in protesting this. Mm. The anti-vax rallies in New York City have an assortment of people along this political spectrum. And you talk about unity, and I I keep thinking this is the the worst thing to unify against. And those people wear me down the quickest because the disinformation that they spout is just never-ending. They'll seize upon just anything. So it's a weird thing that you're seeing. You're seeing alt-left and you know hard-right uh, align in a weird way, which my hope is that someday this leads to some type of positive unity. Mm, unity with a question mark, I think. Um, but your comments about the alt-left and the alt-right meeting, I remember my dad explaining politics to me when I was a kid and he made it a circle rather than a linear model. And he said, you know, you kind of moderate people are at the bottom of this circle. And then I, he was explaining himself, he goes, I come around to the left here and I think like that. But if you go too far up the left, 
you end at the top of the circle. Your dad actually had it right. That's a lot of people have been saying that to me recently because there's horseshoe theory, but you know, and that mistakenly puts things on opposite sides of the spectrum Mm. as it make it horseshoe shaped. He's like, no, it's a circle. Like it's a circle. You go one way and you just wind up in the other side of that circle. The, The one hope that I do have is that when you start talking about economics and disenfranchisement and economic mm. inequality, you can start to you know unify people. You know, one of the things that I think that is tragic is that when you talk Bernie Sanders mm. to a lot of these Trump supporters, you go through the Rust Belt, they're on board pretty quickly. I remember going to a rally in Pennsylvania, and that was the vibe I got. And you had a lot of blue-collar people at mm. these Trump rallies. And they were looking to Donald Trump to bring back the manufacturing base to America. Mm. His plan to bring back the manufacturing base to America was absurd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they also didn't mind the way he was going to bring it back, which was through xenophobia, hypernationalism, mm-hmm. war with China. I mean, this was not like, oh, let's bolster our local industries and you know create you know a green industry in this. It was like, Let's do this in the worst possible way. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's what they what they saw and what they wanted. Some of these people would get down with, you know, hard left stuff. The Young Republicans group held a reoccupy Wall Street Mm. event during the whole GameStop Robin Hood scandal. And there were people from all sides of the spectrum there. Mm. There were people there from the first Occupy Wall Street. And if you remember, there are people from the first Occupy Wall Street that are hardcore Trump supporters. I mean, I didn't know that. I had spoken to people from the first Occupy Wall Street. They laughed and they were like, yeah, dummy. And like, we were there. There was a whole team of people that were just terrible. So it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting phenomenon. So I think, yeah, your dad taught you correctly. He did. All the good things in life. The spectrum, how to pick a good red wine, how to cook the perfect steak. Thank you, dad. It's, it's all been done. How to cook the perfect steak. Okay. Yeah. But now I'm only eating fish. So sorry, dad. Now, as New Year's Eve is edging ever closer, let's talk about yet another stupid thing that happened this year. I truly believe that the Democrats need help, yet instead of focusing on real issues and policy, they are getting sucked into fake culture wars. Tell me this, Walter Masterson, when you are walking around American cities, working and speaking to people in the streets, do you see critical race theory or cancel culture or wokeness attacking America's way of life? Or do you see the real problems like a, you know, a broken healthcare system, poverty, lack of affordable housing, economic and racial inequity, the climate crisis. Do you see these? I'm not sure I can take another three years of watching the Democrats blunder over themselves in a hopeless attempt to win bad faith culture wars. So tell me this, what do you think the Democrats need to do in 2022 to stop playing into the hands of Republican bad faith nonsense? And furthermore, What do we all need to do to stop adding fuel to the culture war fires? Yeah, you're you're totally right. I mean, getting to the real issues of yeah, just healthcare and uh, you know you know climate change, huge thing. They're they're being poor. You know, the well is being poisoned with these things where they get to call this communism. It's socialism. Mm. You know, you pass something, it's socialism. And if you want to do anything that requires 
the government to put down money and create a thing, you know, the other side just has to call it socialism. I mean, Green New Deal, Green New Deal, perfect example. I mean, mm. there there needs to be you know huge action with regards to the environment, and that's something that you and Willie are you know very versed in. I'm always like messaging the two of you with questions for you know, specific questions with regard to, you know, this stuff green enough and mm. everything and you know, the nuclear stuff. And uh, yeah. And of course, you know, we, yeah, we can't get to that, you know, green new deal, you know, that's socialism. Mm. It's socialism. I mean, mm. Marjorie Taylor Green, Boebert, all they, they get out and they throw out green new deal. It's just as bad as critical race theory. Right. And um, yeah. Healthcare is this thing of like, they've tricked everyone to thinking like, well, healthcare, that's socialism too. And it's going to yeah. cost too much. The funny thing is you talk to these Trump supporters about um, healthcare. They're, they're like, you know, we can't afford it. And they've been, you know, everyone, even people on the, the left have been convinced to some extent that, you know, you're just going to be paying for, you know, the lazy person that, yeah. you know, didn't want to do the healthcare thing. And, yeah, they did that with Obamacare. It's going to be, oh, yeah. it's going to cost us too much. It's going to um, encourage people not to get employed. And all of these things were proven wrong. And there's yet to be a better, I mean, it's, I'm not saying Obamacare or Affordable Care Act is without, it's not perfect. It's definitely not a perfect model, but there's, it's helping, what, 20 million Americans to be insured and not well, die? Here's, the, here's my problem is that, you know, there's no, there's such terrible messaging. Mm. Now, Obamacare, I had it mm. years ago. It was the first time I had healthcare. Right. I had a lot of procedures done mm. that were long overdue. I got to address them for the first yeah. time. Yeah. Years it's magic. Ago. But they let the conservatives set the agenda with regards to the dialogue. And they, you know, they lose midterm elections because of Obamacare. Yeah. There's people riled up and thinking that Obamacare is what's really destroying the country right now. And mm. they're so bad with messaging. I was like, yes. God damn it. Right. So I mean, you know, yes to everything you're saying, but also they suck at messaging. Mm. You know, and they and they suck at counter messaging. Mm. And they're they always let the it's you know, like you, you even see it with McAuliffe and uh Youngkin in that mm. last election. Um, the Young Turks, I, I recommend that everyone watch the Young Turks over CNN and MSNBC. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know, they had really did a breakdown of, it's like, oh, well, these, you know, McAuliffe let Youngkin, you know, set the, the tone mm. and set the dialogue. And so he's like always playing defense. Right. It's always defense. After every election that the Democrats lose, the centrists come along and go, well, y'all were just too woke. Meanwhile, you're like, Oh, Hillary was too woke. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, Having this culture war that whereby like the left is buying into is again, just like you said, it's them, the Republicans dribbling the ball down the court. And rather than us play, even playing defense in basketball, we're busy playing defense in a, in fucking tennis or something. We're not even in the same game. You know, like if you're going to do it, do it. But the messaging is terrible. I have a background in communications. I'm like, please please let me write something. I mean, just tell you guys how to put together a communications plan would work. I, it's like they're just sniffing around each other's butts and not getting anything done. And I don't understand because they're all obviously, yeah. they're, they're in the room, they're in Congress, they're in the White House, they're in everything because there's a brain in that head. And you would think because initially they started wanting to help American people and the world. And yet instead, they're just 
falling for this bad faith manipulation over and over again and letting down literally the planet at this point. It's these are big issues we're talking about. And you know, we're not trying to be alarmist there, but yeah. hey guys, it's happening, you know, and the back to brunch mentality of everyone has got to fucking change. And you know, people listening yeah. to this are either going to tune out now and go, Jump, she's gone too far. You know, and the, so here's the funny thing is so what needs to be said, I remember like after the election, AOC, who most people find extremely annoying, said something that was actually pretty on point was hmm. talked about how Obama had his campaign outside of the Democratic Party. When you look at his campaign, he was on message. He responded yeah. to counter messaging. I mean, someone threw a jab. He threw one right back. AOC had said she had reached out to a bunch of candidates up for re-election saying, mm. I'll help you with messaging. The ones that actually that said, OK, show me how to do some messaging, won their elections. The ones that said, Interesting. no, I'm good, thanks, did not win their elections. I think like you have you have AOC who understands messaging mm -hmm. and staying on message. John Ossoff, hmm. another person, remember his campaign, they tried to smear him with all this China, yep. this and that. And he was right there firing back at it. Yeah. He was very much on message. Um, so you know, there are, I mean, there's hope, but you know, in terms of messaging, there's I think you know, there's younger candidates that that get it. You said it perfectly with the defense stuff. It's time to play our own tactical game. God, now I sound like one of those dicky guys that says things like, got to put the I in team. But it is kind of that. You know, we've got to start playing it our way and stop listening to their bad faith manipulation and pushing forward. Look, we could talk about other stuff this year, like Joe Biden being sworn in or the first female vice president, Kamala Harris, or the Suez Canal getting blocked. Um, but I think we should just tip our hats to those things, especially the first female VP, and um, move on to talk about something else, which is the billionaire space race. Now, mid-2021, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Sir Richard Branson all playfully slapped each other with wet towels in the billionaire's locker room, tussling for... <laughs> I mean, right? Can't you see them? Well, come here, Bezos. Um, <laughs> tussling for headlines relating to private space travel. On July 11th, I think it was, Sir, Sir Dick became the first civilian to reach space aboard his own rocket ship, Blue Origin, reaching an altitude of 53 miles above ground, which according to NASA is three miles beyond the threshold of space. However, there are people like Jeff Bezos who laugh in the face of NASA and instead adhere to the belief that space begins at the Kármán line. So nine days later, Bezos reached a height of 66.5 miles above Earth's surface in his dick-shaped rocket, four miles above the Kármán line, and thus he was actually the first proper spaceman. And so Dick was just up, you know, just went really, really high up there. Oh, my God. And I watched that la the last launch that they had a few days ago, a few like a week ago. and. I was watching it on um, CNN. My friend and I were watching, this is while we were in Florida, you know, covering the Trump thing. And we're watching it going, is this like a paid advertisement from Bezos? <sighs> Every time I watch like parts of CNN and MSNBC, my friends and I laugh because they're like, if you look at the right, you know, mm. they're like, oh, they, they think we love MSNBC and CNN. And that's the altar that we all worship on. And I'm like, I'm like, have you watched it? I'm like, they don't represent us. This was like the entire rocket launch played mm. out like this paid advertisement. At no point did they have one person go on and say, 
Do you understand how bad this one rocket ship is for the environment? They could have had one person go on and be like, listen, they're not even going you know, into space, really. They're just going into the sky yeah, and floating back around. down. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're wasting a ton of, you know, they're like displacing you know, a ton of greenhouse gases, putting so much carbon into the air. It's ridiculous. Like, it is ridiculous. And like when Elon, you know, Elizabeth Warren trolling Musk's company put SpaceX, um, launched on September 15th, whatever it was, another complete massive wet towel slap. Four civilians spent three days floating around up there with no astronauts on board, like nothing. And it it just makes zero sense. If these guys want to put their money where their mouth is and think that they are doing something good for humanity, which they could be doing, then perhaps they should be investing in people that, you know, have the training in this or investing in astrophysics, which has a direct line to climate change and how we can have climate solutions with people like that, rather than just bobbing around up in space, wet slap toweling each other in their knob-shaped rockets. It's honestly a spoof from an alternative universe. And every time I it popped on the television, I literally had to stop myself from throwing something at the screen and going, what the fuck is happening here? Why are we watching these idiots hooting up into space again? Yeah. And it, yeah. I mean, I, you know, on one end, I'm like, yes, you know, let's, you know, do space exploration. Yes. Yeah. Let's do the thing, you know, but you know, then I'm just like, at the other end, I'm like, you know, like, okay, just, we just want fucking healthcare. Like, yes. Don't, you know, just give us fucking healthcare. God right. damn it. And can we just, you know, put some of that money towards climate change? And like I said, the astrophysics stuff, you know, and that could help, you know, you can still enjoy your millions of dollars, billions of dollars, Jeff, that you can't possibly think of how to spend, whatever that quote was. I can't think of how else to um, distribute my money. I'm like, how about pay your fucking workers, you piece of shit? Anyway, I shall let that go because I get far too worked up and I'm probably going to need blood pressure medicine if I keep going. But I have 10 quick answer questions for you to end with if you are ready for them. Yes. All right. Um, What's your home city? I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Nice. And what's your favorite city? <laughs> Brooklyn. I mean, yeah, New York City. I'm born and raised. Nice. Well, you know, stay where you like it, right? Yeah. Um, define your personal style or attitude in three words. Personal, personal style. Um, or vibe. You know, I don't necessarily mean fashion, although if you want that. Seditious, Ooh. irreverent, countercultural. Avant-garde. Oh, all the Apocryphal. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> Very nice. All right. What are your words to live by or favorite quote? Before she had her hilariously bad presidential run, I used to love the Marianne Williamson quote of, you know, you know, who are we not to be? You know, you were a child of God. You're playing small, does not serve the world. That iconic quote of mm. hers. I, I just, I sort of, pretend she's never said anything else in her life uh, <laughs> other than that quote. I That's just, fine. Like, it just said, you know, just kind of like with J.K. Rowling. Well, actually, no, I wouldn't compare it to J.K. Rowling. I, I hear what you're saying, though. No. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> oh, man. When's that going to stop? But anyway, um, what is the favorite aspect of your work? Favorite aspect of my work? Yeah, just the, this ability to make comedy, to make this comedy that I don't think any – I. I'm going to say it. I don't think anyone else is making what I'm making right now. No, they totally are. I'm going to be that cocky. I'm going to say it. 
You cocky um, piece of shit. Yeah. Cocky no. piece of shit. I mean, critics will argue that no one should be doing what I'm doing right now. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I don't think anyone is doing what I'm doing right now. No, they're not, because you're doing it with such a level of intelligence and fire behind it and that adds an element to it it you're not just doing it for comedy although that was you know you set out to do so but it's become more yeah. than that whether and you I'm, intended I'm still it still a comedian at the end of the day yeah and I, I hope one day to not have to run around you know being saying i'm, I'm a comedian i swear uh, I you could just you. make fart jokes on stage shortly hopefully yeah. clear oh, that up God, i can't wait <laughs> um okay what's your favorite drink or meal favorite drink um i love coffee I mm. love uh, double espresso. Mm. What is your favorite movie or book? Oh my God. So, okay. One of my favorite, uh, favorite uh, books right now. Amazing author, Paul Beatty. He mm. wrote the sellout. I, I hope that within a few years, Paul Beatty and his book, the sellout and his subsequent books are seen, you know, as just one of the best satirical novels the stuff this generation and on a lighter side i i, I just saw um spider-man's no way home which of course just made me cry it's just it's one of the best spider-man movies uh of that entire franchise all right three people you want at your dinner party and why and these people can be dead alive or fictional if i was gonna have a dinner party and someone was like oh i'm gonna bring donald trump and he's gonna be dead i'd be like oh that's amazing <laughs> So like they like they're gonna bring Donald Trump. He's gonna be dead. Yeah. And also um, Joe Manchin. He'll be dead as well. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, you're just bringing all these um, people over. You're bringing these dead bodies over. That's gonna and, be fun. Uh, so yeah. And hmm, who do we want as the third person? So we I mean we work with me here. Maybe you Tucker need Carlson. someone alive. Ooh, Tucker. So yeah. So Tucker Carlson. Um, he could be dead. Yeah, I guess though. he's alive, and we eat him. Yes, that's that's where it needs to. That's mm. full circle, right? And yeah. you serve a nice portion um, to both Joe and Don, just to be polite. That sounds like a really good dinner party. Um, when you're not working, we'll find you spending time with my dog and this woman who I uh, hope to make my wife Aww. in the next few months. Oh. Now, last question. What is your piece of advice for someone looking to address, own up to political bad faith? I, I really just think people should show up, show up to these, you know, Black Lives Matter uh, rallies, show up to pro, pro-choice pro rallies, show up to, you know, the Moms for Liberty. Mm. Literally just go on Eventbrite, type mm. in freedom and liberty. Mm. <laughs> and that's That'll give you everything you need. They don't call it a, a Trump rally or a MAGA mm. rally. It, mm. It's always freedom, liberty, liberty yep. and freedom. Yep. The, the freedom and liberty rally for yep. liberty and freedom. Uh, you know, show up to one of those. Show up mm. to a school board meeting. Mm. Um, and you gotta you gotta hear what these people are actually saying. And you actually you need to hear what they're saying when they're not uh, speaking to a wider audience. They mm. very sanitized sometimes when they're speaking to a wider audience. Um, but to their own people, they're they're quite forthcoming. Listen to the head of the New York police union, Pat Lynch, as he talks, you know, and look at how not woke he is. <laughs> you know, look how not, you know, <laughs> you're like, 
you know, people are like, hey, the police, they're trying. It's like, I've heard them at rallies. No, the fuck they are not. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Thanks for listening to the Progressivists podcast. Today's show is hosted by Joe Lorenz and brought to you by The Progressivists, the social movement dedicated to climate, civil, and racial justice. If you've enjoyed today's show, please remember to follow or subscribe to The Progressivist Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, or if you'd like to learn more about today's guest, please head to our website, www.theprogressivist.com.